Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to Catholic Light. Thanks for joining me for another episode. I may have mentioned in a previous episode that for years, my parents took pilgrimages, led pilgrimages to Medjugorje, which is a modern day Marian apparition site in Bosnia and Herzegovina. They, a, a friend had gone when I was about nine and they came back just so excited about having gone here, about practicing their Catholic faith. And they said, you know, you guys should go. And at the time my parents were like, okay. But then by the grace of God, they ended up going, um, and they brought the the three of us, three out of four of us were born at the time. And um, they too experienced this incredible deepening of conversion to their Catholic faith, came back, opened a, a Catholic booking gift shop in our hometown. And through the store, they brought hundreds at this point, um, thousands maybe, lots of people to Medjugorje. So there was this one time I was on a, a pilgrimage with my family and a group of pilgrims, and um, one of the priests of Medjugorje, Father Svet, was preaching just in the context of a homily and a, during a daily mass where he said, um, it was so striking at the time, he said, uh, you know, even if you have money, you too can be happy. Even if you are esteemed by others, don't worry, you too can be happy. And he went on to list a number of things that we typically associate with happiness, you know, money, wealth, pleasure, honor, etc. And he said, don't worry, if you have these things, you too can be happy. And it was so beautiful and um, really just flipped on its head uh, our, our modern understanding and I think human tendency to cling to that which is comfortable and brings about a life of of pleasure and honor and wealth, et cetera. So he flipped it on its head so that we could see rightly. And the, the truth is that those things do make life really nice. It's it's easier in a lot of ways to to have money and you know be able to buy nice things or comfortable things. But um, the truth is, and what we hear through scriptures and and often experience personally, is that when we don't have those things, uh, it's difficult um, or it can be difficult. But it, it peels away the extra and helps us focus on what's truly important. Um, and it helps us see the reality that we are dependent on God, that everything um, that is good and true and beautiful depends on God. Um, so the truth is we're all reliant on God. We need him every day. And it's easy to forget that when we have you know, health and wealth, money, honor, etc. cetera. Um, we hear through the scriptures and and uh, various things that that God is especially close to the poor, the widow, and the orphan. And I think it's important to note that um, here's another instance where I think a misunderstanding creeps in, and that's that um, you know God doesn't waste his time with those who have money and comforts. Um, he just goes right to the poor and the suffering, as though he has like a need to be needed. Like, oh, these, you know, rich and famous and comfortable people don't need me. So I'll go to those who need me. Like, oh, you know, you who need money and, and who are struggling or who are, who are poor and, and sick, like, don't worry, God's here. I gotcha. As though God has a need. Um, and the truth is that we are all in need 
So each and every one of us is in need of God. And at any moment, the money, the health, the comfort could go away in an instant. And we would realize, it's it's easier to realize our true condition, the condition of all of us, and that's that that we need God. Another mis- misunderstanding that creeps in sometimes, I think, is that God will take away our money, our health, our job, so that, ha-ha, now you realize you need me. Okay, I stripped away this stuff so that you realize your true condition. And that's not exactly the case. God is not out to get us. He's not... Um, out to, you know, make us face the truth. But in some cases, it's it's a mercy where God will allow a job loss, illness, etc., so that we realize our true condition, not so, haha, now we have to depend on this God who needs to be needed, but um, he, he allows the, the extra to be stripped away so that we can see and understand what we are really made for, that for which we are really made, and experience uh, a happiness that's deep and abiding and lasting much more than wealth, honor, health, etc. could give us. It helps us see, it can help us see the truth that, again, we are all dependent on God, um, and he is the most fulfilling thing, person, um, for each and every one of us. And so when those things are stripped away, we realize the truth, the reality, um, how things are, and that for which we were made. I think of this time when uh, I was pregnant with our first child, Sophia, and I was eh, maybe like seven months pregnant, and my goddaughter, Bella, who lives in Ave Maria, Florida, was receiving her first communion, and so I flew down to see her first communion, and you know, it was kind of big and uncomfortable in my pregnancy. And after she had received her first communion, we went back to the house to celebrate. Um, there was one point where I guess I was looking pretty pretty tired, and my friends were like, "You know what? Just go in the other room and and take a little nap." And they had this have this lovely, beautiful home, beautifully decorated. And um, so I just like snuggled in under the covers. And to this day, I think it was the most delightful, comfortable nap. I'm not a big napper, but the the best nap I've ever taken. It was so just like comforting and wonderful and warm and restful. And I remember um, as I was falling asleep, just everything got a little fuzzy and, you know, the conversation kind of like drifted away in the background and uh, I fell asleep and, and had this this wonderful, wonderful nap. And I think of that in as an analogy for when we have money and comfort and pleasure and honor, et cetera. Um, sometimes the voice of God just gets a, a little fuzzy, a little hazy, fades a little bit into the background. And, um, you know, it, it could be that we we still love God, we prioritize him. But sometimes when those other things are, are a little bit closer to us, a little bit more present in our life, it's easy for God's voice to fade into the background. And so sometimes God will allow those things to fade into the background so that his voice can come to the fore. Again, not because he needs to be needed, but because we are made for him. We're made for communion, union with him, um, the things of God, and that will make us even more fulfilled, happy, uh, we'll experience that lasting joy. Maybe not in the midst of some suffering, some job loss, some illness, um, but ultimately it will uh, connect us to him, to he who is the source of life love, truth, beauty, goodness. Also, I think you know this, but I'll say this for the sake of clarification. Um, Health and 
wealth and comfort are not bad things at all. Um, But if we make those the primary thing, then oftentimes God, who who should be the primary thing and is the primary thing for which, for whom we are made, that will fade into the background so that the secondary things, when made the primary things, um, get us off track. We as human beings often just like rail against, struggle against, resist sickness and death. And we should because those are effects of the fall. So pre-original sin, there was no illness, there was no death. Um, But now that those things are present in our life, we intuitively know that those are not good things, and so we we uh, react against them. Um, but now that they are present in our lives, God, in His goodness, uses everything, okay, including sickness and death, to draw us close to Him. So you might have heard the phrase, "God writes straight with crooked lines." So the crookedness of illness and death, God uses to draw us closer to Him. So God will allow those things, those effects of the fall, sin, illness, job loss, etc., um, to allow the secondary things to fall away for a moment, maybe for a while, so that we come back to God for whom we were made and whom we are fulfilled, uh, our true and lasting happiness. And so th- this is a long intro to today's sacrament, which is the anointing of the sick. So we're making our way through part two Section two of the Catechism, which goes through each of the seven sacraments. We've talked about baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist, reconciliation or penance, confession. And now we move on to the last sacrament of healing, which is the anointing of the sick. And then we have two to go holy orders and marriage, holy matrimony. So, in the section of the Catechism that talks about the anointing of the sick, I'd like to point out a couple basics. So, what constitutes the anointing of the, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, and then just highlight, as I like to do, a couple beautiful lines regarding the anointing of the sick. So, first, paragraph fifteen eleven talks about what what the sacrament is, and uh, the like we talked about on last week's episode, the scriptural, traditional, and magisterial foundations for the sacrament. So, paragraph fifteen eleven says the church believes and confesses that among the seven sacraments, there is one especially intended to strengthen those who are being tried by illness: the anointing of the sick. This sacred anointing of the sick was instituted by Christ our Lord as a true and proper sacrament of the New Testament. It is alluded to indeed by Mark, but is recommended to the faithful and promulgated by James the Apostle and brother of the Lord. If you're following along uh, in the physical catechism, you'll see that footnote 125, if you look at the bottom, references the Council of Trent, which took place in 1551. We referenced that last week regarding confession. It references uh, another reference, which I'm not going to touch on, and then Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 13, and uh, James's letter, chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. So we have a couple of scriptural references. The Gospel writer Mark alludes to the anointing of the sick, and then James in his New Testament letter specifically talks about it. We then, if we continue on to paragraph 1512, read, From ancient times in the liturgical traditions of both East and West, we have testimonies to the practice of anointings of the sick with blessed oil. Over the centuries, the anointing of the sick was conferred more and more exclusively on those at the point of death. Because of this, it received the name extreme unction. Notwithstanding this evolution, the liturgy has never failed to beg the Lord that the sick person may recover his health 
if it would be conducive to his salvation. So we see uh, from ancient times, so throughout the the two millennia of the church, the church's history, that um, people have been receiving the anointing of the sick, the sacrament typically given to those on their deathbed. If, and here's where I'd like to highlight a couple beautiful lines from this part of the catechism, if it would be conducive to his salvation or her salvation. So if in restoring one's health, it will bring that person and perhaps others through that person's life closer to the Lord, then then God grants that, affects that, that healing power through the anointing of the sick. If restored health, however, would not lead to that person's ultimate salvation, then God in his mercy, in his love, in his kindness, which seems strange, um, perhaps won't allow healing because ultimately he wants each and every one of us uh, with him, we want to be, whether we know it or not, with him forever and, you know, 80, 90, 70 years on this earth is uh, a blip across the sky the screen compared to eternity with God. Maybe you've experienced this where you you were you really wanted something, were praying for something. Um, it didn't happen as you wished. Your prayer was not answered as you had hoped. And then you find out later, see later, like, oh, this is this is really great that my prayer wasn't answered. Um, I think of this is this is very superficial, but I think of a time when I was in Nicaragua and um, I'd met this guy, Alejandro, who I thought was very handsome and very fun, and I wanted to date him in the worst way, and he just had no time for me. And so for a little while, I was really like hoping and praying, you know, like, um, God, if it's your will, like, you know, please let this happen that, you know, we, we date or whatever. And ultimately it didn't happen. And in retrospect, I, as I got to know more about this man, I realized it was an incredible grace and mercy that, uh, we never dated, never got together. And so I, I ended up thanking God. Thank you, God, that you didn't answer my prayers as I hoped they would be answered. Um, and so it was really a grace, a mercy that God did not hear and answer that prayer of mine. Um, we may have also prayed or be praying for something that seems very good and true and noble, and perhaps God has not answered, is not answering that prayer, and um, that causes us to be angry, frustrated, like, God, I don't get it. This seems you know, completely justified or like a really good prayer. And we might not see the full answer or understand the full answer, this side of heaven. And so, you know, let's pray for each other and um, that we'll be patient and um, trust that God understands better than we do or God sees the full picture um, much better than we do. We look at paragraph 1500, which says, illness and suffering have always been among the gravest problems confronted in human life. In illness, man experiences his powerlessness, his limitations, and his finitude. Every illness can make us glimpse death. So again, we we rail against, as we should, um, illness and death. But illness and death also bring light to our true condition. Um, Life is a gift. It's fragile. It could be gone in a moment. And um, when we experience illness, death of, of loved ones, um, again, it's not God like knocking us down, like, ha I told you I was God. Um, but it's a reminder that we are down. <laughs> we need God. In an instant, it could all be taken away. 
um, if you're listening to this in real time, then within the last you know few weeks, you might have heard on Ash Wednesday, from dust we have come to dust we shall return. Um, when my students used to say, like, you know, this isn't fair, or why did God do it this way? Why does God do it this way? Um, sometimes I would, I would say, hopefully in a spirit of charity, like, hey, did you do anything to get yourself born? Because I didn't. Like, this is all gift. And God, who loves us and loves our family members and friends much more than we do, uh, sees the whole picture, has a beautiful plan. And while we might not understand it, um, we can trust he, he's proved him, proven himself to be faithful thus far. Uh, we can trust that um, he, ha- he continues to have our best interests at heart and is hopefully will respond to his grace by the grace of God is drawing us closer to him down the path uh, to happiness and holiness. Paragraph 1501 goes on to say, illness can lead to anguish, self-absorption, sometimes even despair and revolt against God. It can also make a person more mature, helping him discern in his life what is not essential so that he can turn toward that which is. Very often illness provokes a search for God and a return to him. I love this paragraph and we'll end on this paragraph in that it shows or reminds us that health, illness, wealth, poverty. Whatever the stuff is, God uses it to draw us closer to him and to lead to our ultimate fulfillment and salvation. So again, illness and death are results of the fall, so they're not good things, but all the things are kind of um, tools used by God to simply draw us closer to him. The stuff is almost neutral, and it's what we do with it that matters. So again, the paragraph set, this paragraph says, you know, sometimes illness can lead to self-absorption, revolt against God, but sometimes it leads to the stripping away of the unnecessary to help us turn to God, uh, a search for God and a return to him. And so let's end with a prayer. When we, when we feel like, you know, life is not fair, which that's one of the... Uh, one of the great shticks in my house right now where as the kids the kids have been saying now um you know that's not fair like Sophia got this or Declan got that and I'll say like hey guys life's not fair uh it's not even fair for mom and dad they, they think that once you're a grown-up like all is right with the world and you get to you get to pick and choose what you want to do they saw maybe you're familiar with this movie yesterday um where the parents for one day allow the kid they say yes to whatever the kids with within parameters they say yes to whatever the kids for which the kids ask bah that for which the kids ask the parents say yes so the kids my kids have kind of equated now being a grown up to having infinite yes days as a grown up you get to do whatever you want so when they say life's you know this isn't fair i'll say like hey life's not fair even when you're a grown up you don't get to you know do whatever you want or not everything goes your way and then i think like oh and it's actually a little easier when you're you know when you're your age sophia declan and peter um, so let, let's end with a prayer where when it feels like life is not going our way, uh, life is very unfair, um, in regards to very serious things for many of our listeners, um, you know, death, illness of those very close to us, um, or, or maybe we are experiencing illness, job loss, et cetera. Um, let's pray that God gives us the grace to embrace it maybe not joyfully, that might be kind of hard, um, but to embrace it and uh, that God may give us the grace to trust that he loves each of us 
each of our family members and friends much more than we do and ultimately wants each and every one of us uh, in communion, in union, in relationship with him, not just for 70, 80, 90 years, but for eternity. And so I'll pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, please help us to embrace our circumstances, whatever they may be, trusting it's what each of us needs for our ultimate salvation. If we're being treated unjustly, so if our suffering is the result of others' decisions, we pray for conversion, reconciliation, forgiveness, healing of that person or that particular relationship in our life. If the suffering we might be experiencing now is a result of our own decisions, uh, please forgive us. Help us and those whom we've hurt, uh, help them to forgive us. And may we all be sanctified and ultimately saved um, in the midst of this as a result of, of these circumstances. We thank you for loving us, for, for ultimately wanting each of our salvations, and we pray for the grace once again to, to turn to you, to even if it might not feel like it, um, trust that, that you are with us and saving us and loving us. And so we offer this up through the Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So Mary, wherever we are at the moment of our death, please be with us, uh, interceding for us, protecting and guiding us, bringing us to the Lord so that we may be with him with you, with all the angels and saints, all of our loved ones, from now until forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll now take a brief break and return on the second side to read paragraphs 1499 through 1532, which go through the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 1499 through 1532. Article 5, The Anointing of the Sick. By the sacred anointing of the sick and the prayer of the priests, the whole church commends those who are ill to the suffering and glorified Lord, that he may raise them up and save them. And indeed, she exhorts them to contribute to the good of the people of God by freely uniting themselves to the passion and death of Christ, its foundations and the economy of salvation, illness in human life. Illness and suffering have always been among the gravest problems confronted in human life. In illness, man experiences his powerlessness, his limitations, and his finitude. Every illness can make us glimpse death. Illness can lead to anguish, self-absorption, sometimes even despair and revolt against God. It can also make a person more mature, helping him discern in his life what is not essential so that he can turn toward that which is. Very often, illness provokes a search for God and a return to him. The Sick Person Before God the man of the Old Testament lives his sickness in the presence of God. It is before God that he laments his illness, and it is of God, master of life and death, that he implores healing. Illness becomes a way to conversion. God's forgiveness initiates the healing. It is the experience of Israel that illness is mysteriously linked to sin and evil, and that faithfulness to God according to his law restores life. For I am the Lord, your healer. The prophet intuits that suffering can also have a redemptive meaning for the sins of others. 
Finally, Isaiah announces that God will usher in a time for Zion when he will pardon every offense and heal every illness. Christ the Physician Christ's compassion toward the sick and his many healings of every kind of infirmity are a resplendent sign that God has visited his people and that the kingdom of God is close at hand. Jesus has the power not only to heal, but also to forgive sins. He has come to heal the whole man, soul, and body. He is the physician the sick have need of. Excuse me. His compassion toward all who suffer goes so far that he identifies himself with them. I was sick and you visited me. His preferential love for the sick has not ceased through the centuries to draw the very special attention of Christians toward all those who suffer in body and soul. It is the source of tireless efforts to comfort them. Often Jesus asks the sick to believe. He makes use of signs to heal, spittle and the laying on of hands, mud and washing. The sick try to touch him, for power came forth from him and healed them all. And so, in the sacraments, Christ continues to touch us in order to heal us. Moved by so much suffering, Christ not only allows himself to be touched by the sick, but he makes their miseries his own. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases, but he did not heal all the sick. His healings were signs of the coming of the kingdom of God. They announced a more radical healing, the victory over sin and death through his Passover. On the cross, Christ took upon himself the whole weight of evil and took away the sin of the world, of which illness is only a consequence. By his passion and death on the cross, Christ has given a new meaning to suffering. It can henceforth configure us to him and unite us with his redemptive passion. Heal the sick. Christ invites his disciples to follow him by taking up their cross in their turn. By following him, they acquire a new outlook on illness and the sick. Jesus associates them with his own life of poverty and service. He makes them share in his ministry of compassion and healing. So they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. The risen Lord renews this mission. In my name, they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover and confirms it through the signs that the church performs by invoking his name. These signs demonstrate in a special way that Jesus is truly God who saves. The Holy Spirit gives to some a special charism of healing so as to make manifest the power of the grace of the risen Lord. But even the most intense prayers do not always obtain the healing of all illnesses. Thus, St. Paul must learn from the Lord that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, and that the sufferings to be endured can mean that in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Heal the sick. The church has received this charge from the Lord and strives to carry it out by taking care of the sick as well as by accompanying them with her prayer of intercession. She believes in the life-giving presence of Christ, the physician of souls and bodies. This presence is particularly active through the sacraments and in an altogether special way through the Eucharist, the bread that gives eternal life and that St. Paul suggests is connected with bodily health. However, the apostolic church has its own right for the sick, attested to by St. James. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders or the presbyters of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Tradition has recognized in this rite one of the seven sacraments. A sacrament of the sick. The church believes and confesses that among the seven sacraments, there is one especially intended to strengthen those who are being tried by illness, the anointing of the sick. 
the sacred anointing of the sick was instituted by Christ our Lord as a true and proper sacrament of the New Testament. It is alluded to indeed by Mark, but is recommended to the faithful and promulgated by James the Apostle and brother of the Lord. From ancient times in the liturgical traditions of both East and West, we have testimonies to the practice of anointings of the sick with blessed oil. Over the centuries, the anointing of the sick was conferred more and more exclusively on those at the point of death. Because of this, it received the name Extreme Unction. Notwithstanding this evolution, the liturgy has never failed to beg the Lord that the sick person may recover his health if it would be conducive to his salvation. The Apostolic Constitution Sacrum Unctionum Infirmamorum, following upon the Second Vatican Council, established that henceforth in the Roman Rite the following be observed. The sacrament of anointing of the sick is given to those who are seriously ill by anointing them on the forehead and hands with duly blessed oil, pressed from olives or from other plants, saying only once, through this holy anointing, may the Lord in his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord who frees you from sin save you and raise you up. Who receives and who administers this sacrament? In case of grave illness... The anointing of the sick is not a sacrament for those only who are at the point of death. Hence, as soon as any one of the faithful begins to be in danger of death from sickness or old age, the fitting time for him to receive the sacrament has certainly already arrived. If a sick person who received this anointing recovers his health, he can, in the case of another grave illness, receive this sacrament again. If during the same illness the person's condition becomes more serious, the sacrament may be repeated. It is fitting to receive the anointing of the sick just prior to a serious operation. The same holds for the elderly, whose frailty becomes more pronounced. Let him call for the presbyters of the church. Only priests, bishops, and presbyters are ministers of the anointing of the sick. It is the duty of pastors to instruct the faithful on the benefits of this sacrament. Let him call for the presbyters of the church. Only priests, bishops, and presbyters are ministers of the anointing of the sick. It is the duty of pastors to instruct the faithful on the benefits of this sacrament. The faithful should encourage the sick to call for a priest to receive this sacrament. The sick should prepare themselves to receive it with good dispositions, assisted by their pastor and the whole ecclesial community, which is invited to surround the sick in a special way through their prayers and fraternal attention. How is this sacrament celebrated? Like all the sacraments, the anointing of the sick is a liturgical and communal celebration. Whether it takes place in the family home, a hospital, or a church, for a single sick person or a whole group of sick persons, it is very fitting to celebrate it within the Eucharist, the memorial of the Lord's Passover. If circumstances suggest it, the celebration of the sacrament can be preceded by the sacrament of penance and followed by the sacrament of the Eucharist.
As the sacrament of Christ's Passover, the Eucharist should always be the last sacrament of the earthly journey, the viaticum for passing over to eternal life. Word and sacrament form an indivisible whole. The liturgy of the word, preceded by an act of repentance, opens the celebration. The words of Christ, the witness of the apostles, awaken the faith of the sick person and of the community to ask the Lord for the strength of his spirit. The celebration of the sacrament includes the following principal elements. The priests of the church, in silence, lay hands on the sick. They pray over them in the faith of the church. This is the epiclesis proper to the sacrament. They then anoint them with oil blessed, if possible, by the bishop. These liturgical actions indicate what grace this sacrament confers upon the sick. The effects of the celebration of this sacrament. A particular gift of the Holy Spirit. The first grace of this sacrament is one of strengthening, peace, and courage to overcome the difficulties that go with the condition of serious illness or the frailty of old age. This grace is a gift of the Holy Spirit who renews trust and faith in God and strengthens against the temptations of the evil one, the temptation to discouragement and anguish in the face of death. This assistance from the Lord by the power of his spirit is meant to lead the sick person to healing of the soul, but also of the body if such is God's will. Furthermore, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. the effects of the celebration of this sacrament, a particular gift of the Holy Spirit. The first grace of this sacrament is one of strengthening, peace, and courage to overcome the difficulties that go with the condition of serious illness or the frailty of old age. This grace is a gift of the Holy Spirit who renews trust and faith in God and strengthens against the temptations of the evil one, the temptation to discouragement and anguish in the face of death. This assistance from the Lord by the power of his spirit is meant to lead the sick person to healing of the soul, but also of the body, if such is God's will. Furthermore, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Union with the Passion of Christ By the grace of this sacrament, the sick person receives the strength and the gift of uniting himself more closely to Christ's passion. 
In a certain way, he is consecrated to bear fruit by configuration to the Savior's redemptive passion. Suffering, a consequence of original sin, acquires a new meaning. It becomes a participation in the saving work of Jesus. An ecclesial grace. The sick who receive this sacrament by freely uniting themselves to the passion and death of Christ contribute to the good of the people of God. By celebrating the sacrament, the church in the communion of saints intercedes for the benefit of the sick person. And he, for his part, though the grace of this sacrament contributes to the sanctification of the church and to the good of all men for whom the church suffers and offers herself through Christ to God the Father. A Preparation for the Final Journey If the sacrament of anointing of the sick is given to all who suffer from serious illness and infirmity, even more rightly is it given to those at the point of departing this life. So it is also called sacramentum exuntium, the sacrament of those departing. The anointing of the sick completes our conformity to the death and resurrection of Christ, just as baptism began it. It completes the holy anointings that mark the whole Christian life, that of baptism, which sealed the new life in us, and that of confirmation, which strengthened us for the combat of this life. This last anointing fortifies the end of our earthly life like a solid rampart for the final struggles before entering the Father's house. Viaticum, the last sacrament of the Christian. In addition to the anointing of the sick, the Church offers those who are about to leave this life the Eucharist as viaticum. Communion in the body and blood of Christ, received at this moment of passing over to the Father, has a particular significance and importance. It is the seed of eternal life and the power of resurrection, according to the words of the Lord. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The sacrament of Christ once dead and now risen, the Eucharist is here the sacrament of passing over from death to life, from this world to the Father. Thus, just as the sacraments of baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist form a unity called the sacraments of Christian initiation, so too it can be said that penance, the anointing of the sick, and the Eucharist as viaticum constitute at the end of Christian life the sacraments that prepare for our heavenly homeland, or the sacraments that complete the earthly pilgrimage. In brief, is any among you sick? Let him call for the presbyters of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with In brief, is any among you sick? Let him call for the presbyters of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. The sacrament of anointing of the sick has as its purpose the conferral of a special grace on the Christian experiencing the difficulties inherent in the condition of grave illness or old age.
The proper time for receiving this holy anointing has certainly arrived when the believer begins to be in danger of death because of illness or old age. Each time a Christian falls seriously ill, he may receive the anointing of the sick, and also when, after he has received it, the illness worsens. Only priests, presbyters, and bishops can give the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, using oil blessed by the bishop, or if necessary, by the celebrating presbyter himself. The celebration of the anointing of the sick consists essentially in the anointing of the forehead and hands of the sick person in the Roman rite, or of other parts of the body in the Eastern rite. The anointing being accompanied by the liturgical prayer of the celebrant, asking for the special grace of the sacrament. The special grace of the sacrament of the anointing of the sick has as its effects the uniting of the sick person to the passion of Christ for his own good and that of the whole church, the strengthening peace and courage to endure in a Christian manner the sufferings of illness or old age, the forgiveness of sins if the sick person was not able to obtain it through the sacrament of penance, the restoration of health if it is conducive to the salvation of his soul, the preparation for passing over to eternal life. Whew. That brings us to the end of our reading selection, the end of our episode. Uh, thanks for bearing with me, everyone. I, I think I mentioned in previous episodes that um, my mom passed away about a year and a half ago. And um, so who knew it would be so difficult to read um, about suffering and death in this passage. I'll talk a little bit more about that on the next episode, but... Um, between this week and next week's episode, uh, please connect with me on Instagram at Catholic Light Podcast. Uh, please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.